Welcome to this episode of the New Life Christian Fellowship Podcast. Here is your host, Pastor Eric Stillman. So throughout this summer, I am going to be going through different interactions that people had with Jesus in John's Gospel. So the book of John, looking at various interactions that people had with Jesus so that hopefully we'll learn more about who Jesus is and learn more about ourselves as well. My hope, my prayer is that as you look at these stories, that you're going to grow in your faith, you're going to grow in your love for Jesus, you know better what it means to know him and follow him. And so this morning, we're going to begin with a man who's commonly known as John the Baptist. He is the first person in the Gospel of John who interacts with Jesus. He is not the same John as the John who the book is named after. Those are two different Johns. The one who wrote the book is most likely the disciple, the apostle known as John, one of Jesus' closest friends. And then there's John the Baptist, who uh, was the son of Mary's cousin. So does that make a second cousin? So he's related to Jesus. Um, we're going to begin by reading John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. It's the intro, of course, to John's gospel. It's packed with all kinds of things, uh, but we're going to focus primarily this morning on John the Baptist, on his interactions with Jesus, what that teaches us about who Jesus is and what it means to know him. So here we go. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came as a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he who, of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Let me pray before we continue. Lord, help us to understand what this means. Open our ears and more importantly, illuminate our minds and our hearts that we might understand you better, know you better, be transformed by this time that we spend in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So obviously there's a lot I could say about this section. There's a a ton in this passage, but I want to begin just by looking at how John the Baptist is described in this passage. I hope you caught what words they use to talk about him. They said this, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. 
So what's John's primary calling and responsibility? Yes, he's known as John the Baptist, but in John's gospel, he's primarily John the witness. He's come as a witness to testify about Jesus, the light of the world. Probably when you hear the words witness and testifying, what comes to mind first? Usually you think of a courtroom, right? And the, and the, the role of a witness is to come and to tell the court what they've seen, what they've experienced, what they've heard, so that the judge or the jury can make a decision, can render a verdict. And so it says, basically, John the Baptist is like this kind of witness testifying to Jesus, the light of the world, the word of God. And John, when you keep on reading other passages, evidently saw himself as well as a witness. Listen to a couple of passages and how John describes himself. This is from chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. So he, again, he's saying, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one you're looking for, but I have come to prepare the way for the Lord. I've come to prepare people's hearts for the Lord himself, for God himself. And then John three twenty-two to 30, let's read this passage. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I was sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and his, is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. It's great language, isn't it? The language that he uses to describe himself, he's like, it's like a wedding, you know? Jesus is like the groom and the people are like the bride. And my joy is when the bride and groom come together and I'm like the best man. I'm like a groomsman in the party. I'm not supposed to be the center of attention here. It's not about me today. It's about the bride and groom coming together. And so to all the disciples who are saying, hey, all your followers are leaving you to go after this Jesus. He says, well, that's good. That's great because he's the groom. I'm not the groom. I'm the best man. And the best man's supposed to put the spotlight on the groom, the bride and groom. That's, that's, the central characters here. So evidently, not only John described, but John the Baptist also saw himself as a witness to testify to Jesus. He's not the center of attention. The spotlight's not supposed to be on him. The world does not revolve around John the Baptist. He's only here as a witness to the light. And then he ends with these incredible words. I love these words. He must become greater. I must become less. 
he understood, I'm here to prepare the way for the Lord. And now that the Lord is here, I'm going to step back. I'm going to get out of the spotlight. And it's okay if all my followers are leaving me to go after Jesus. He must become greater. I must become less. It's not about me. So John's a witness to testify to the Lord, the eternal son of God, the word made flesh. He calls the people, repent of your sins. Put your faith in this guy. I'm just the best man, the friend of the groom. So if John is a witness testifying to Jesus, then what specifically is he testifying about? Who is this Jesus that he's witnessing to? And so as we go through this passage, I want to highlight four things in particular that John is witnessing to about Jesus. And the first is this, that Jesus is God in human form. The first thing that he witnesses to, that he testifies to about Jesus is that Jesus is no ordinary prophet. He's no ordinary man, but he is God in human form. Remember how this passage began? In the beginning was the word. It's the Greek word logos. And the word was with God and the word was God. Interesting, huh? So the word was with God and was God. This is part of how we get the concept of the Trinity, of God as three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. That the word, Jesus, the eternal word of God, was with God and is God, distinct from the Father, but also one in essence with the Father. The word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. That word logos, it was something that would appeal and, un- and be understandable to both the Hebrews who read and to the Greeks. You know, it's the word of God, the logos, the ultimate self-expression of God, his word, who he is. But the logos philosophically was also the rationale, the meaning behind the universe. That's what the Greek philosophers saw it as. And so John here borrows this philosophical word to say that's who Jesus is. This meaning behind the universe is Jesus, the logos, the word of God. So from the very beginning, John is laying out, this is no ordinary person, this Jesus. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He is God in human form. One of the commentaries I read by C.K. Barrett, he says this, John intends that the whole of his gospel shall be read in the light of this verse. The deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. If this be not true, the book is blasphemous. I mean, if you've ever read John's gospel, you know, you hear the things that Jesus says and you know, either Jesus is God in human form, or he's crazy, or he's delusional, he's, he's something else, because the claims he makes about himself are the claims only a God would make. This is what John the Baptist says as well about Jesus being God in human form. Listen to some of these verses. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. It's like a riddle there. But he's making the point that this Jesus, even though he's come after me, he's way before me. He is the eternal son of God. And then it says, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, again, referring to Jesus, who is at the father's side has made him known. Again, the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. He's God in human form. Verse 23, John replied in the word of Isaiah, the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for who? For the Lord. Make straight the way for God. God himself is coming into the world and I'm here to make straight the paths. 
And then lastly, verse 34, John said, I've seen and I testify that this is the son of God. This is the eternal son of God. Again, this is the testimony. John came as a witness testifying to Jesus. What's the first thing he's testifying about? That this Jesus is God in human form. It's no ordinary man, no ordinary prophet, no ordinary teacher, but God himself in human form. Some of you have probably heard this by C.S. Lewis. He said this, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a moral teacher, but I don't accept the claim that he is God. He's saying that's what a lot of people say. A lot of people say that Jesus is just a moral teacher, but I don't accept that he's God. He responds by saying this, that is the one thing we must never say. A man who was merely a man and said the things Jesus said cannot be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. You may fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great moral teacher. He did not leave that open to us and he did not intend to. It's great. He says, when you read what Jesus said about himself, there's only three options here, right? It's either that he is God making these extravagant claims about himself, that he came down from heaven, that he's without sin, that your eternal destiny depends on him, that you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood to have eternal life. All these things he said, he's either crazy, he's a liar, or he is God in human form. So can I ask you this morning, who is Jesus to you? Do you just see him as some great moral teacher or some prophet or what is he to you? If you don't know that he is God in human form, I encourage you, read the gospel of John for yourself. Read the claims that he makes. Read the testimony about who he is. He didn't intend to leave that open, that he was just a great moral teacher. He is God in human form. Second thing that he testifies to, not just that Jesus is God in human form, but John also testifies that Jesus is the light of the world who gives us spiritual sight. In verse four, John compares Jesus to light in the darkness. He says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He, only, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. I mean, think about what light does, right? Light illuminates the darkness so that you can see, so that you're not fumbling around and stumbling around in the dark with no idea of what's around you and how to interact with your surroundings. Light illuminates things so that you can see. And so they use this analogy here of Jesus being like light in the darkness that gives you sight to help you see and navigate this world to understand the things of God in a way that you could not apart from him. This is what Jesus does through the gift of his Holy Spirit. When he gives his Holy Spirit to you, it illuminates your heart and your eyes to be able to see things that you could not see, to understand God in a way that formerly you could not understand. Verse 32 And 33, John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit that when you put your faith in him, he gives you the Holy Spirit 
So again, God as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus has ascended to heaven at the right hand of the Father. Now he gives his Holy Spirit to those who put their trust in him. And so God comes to dwell within you to give you spiritual sight. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? To help you to see in a way that you could not see before having the Holy Spirit in you. Paul put it this way, Ephesians 1, 17 and 19. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. There's the Trinity in one verse right there. That the Father of Jesus Christ, our Lord, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You didn't know that you had eyes in your heart, did you? He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. You know, I look back at my life and I I came to faith when I was 18 years old, second day of college at UConn. And it wasn't like fireworks went off or anything like that, but I can see the before and after. And there was this spiritual sight that was not there before and this sensitivity to, to God and to the world that absolutely was not there before. And it wasn't because someone taught me about it or anything. But all of a sudden it was as if I knew God in a way I did not, that the Bible all of a sudden came alive from being a dry, meaningless book to being something that was speaking to me, where God was communicating to me that there was this draw to be in community with other Christians that had never been there before. There was a sensitivity to sin, that things that before it seemed like they were just normal ways of living. Now, all of a sudden, I could tell that they were things that would bring death to me that were not good for me. There was a sensitivity to the world that had not been there before. And if this passage is correct, if the Bible's correct, it's because God had given me his Holy Spirit, had given me this sight, the light of the world come into my life so that I was seeing the world in a way that I had not before. Does this resonate with you? Some of you understand what I'm talking about and you understand that there is a way of seeing the world now because the Holy Spirit is in you that you did not have formerly. And some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. If you have no idea, then please today ask God to give you his Holy Spirit, to baptize you with his Holy Spirit that you might see him and know him. So John comes, he testifies to Jesus as a witness. First and foremost, that Jesus is God in human form. He's no ordinary prophet, no ordinary man. Secondly, that he's the light of the world who gives spiritual sight to us. And then thirdly, he comes to testify that Jesus gives people the right to become children of God. He gives people the right to become children of God. Again, verses 11, 12, and 13. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. He's making the point here that nobody is born a child of God. Nobody comes out of the womb as a child of God, nobody just because they are a good person or go to church or whatever else reason you might want to give is a child of God. But he says that Jesus gave the right to those who believe in him to become children of God, to be adopted. That's the theological word, that we're adopted children of God. That it's not just he gives us his spirit to regenerate our hearts, but he adopts us as his children. That we become sons, daughters of the most high God, heirs of everything that is his. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Again, think about it. How do you relate to God? How do you see God? What's your conception of him? 
for some of you, maybe it's, you know, he's just some being up in the sky. I think that's the way I was until I was 18 years old. God is just some being far off up in the sky. Maybe for some of you, God is like, you know, an angry tyrant or a king or I don't know what God is like for you. But here he says, you can relate to God with that level of intimacy that you are adopted as a child of God and you can come to God as father. They use the word Abba, father, which is the Aramaic word for like daddy, papa. That that's the level of intimacy you can have with God. I mean, in the Old Testament, they didn't even call God father. Jesus was the one who called him father. Now said, now because of Jesus, we can come to God as father, as daddy, with that level of intimacy. Not a slave to a master, servant to a king, but a beloved child to a a father who loves us. I mean, again, I look back at my life and where I am now, and I just, the the level of, of love I have for God, this desire for intimacy, every once in a while I step back and I look and say, that's weird, like, who loves God? Who loves someone they can't see? Like, I, I understand believing in God, but that kind of depth of love and passion and connection, like that, that's odd. That's, that's, that's only a gift from God. It's, it's because God has brought me into this level of intimacy with him. It's not something I manufactured on my own. Who loves a being they cannot see? But that's the level of intimacy that he, we have as a child with a father who loves them. Do you know God that way? Fourth thing that John testifies to is this. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away our sins. What does John say when Jesus shows up on the scene? The Holy Spirit must have given him these words. He blurts out this. Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what he says when he sees Jesus coming. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Strong words there. So John comes and he testifies that Jesus is not only God in human form, that he's the light of the world who gives spiritual sight, that he gives the right for people to become children of God, but also that he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, what does that mean? I mean, even those who heard him might've been like, what are you talking about? He's a lamb? It doesn't look like a lamb to me. What do you mean he's this lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? I mean, think back throughout the Old Testament. If you're familiar at all with where the lamb shows up throughout the Old Testament, You know, first and foremost, you've got the story of Abraham and Isaac and how God gives Abraham his son, Isaac. But then he says, hey, I want you to take your son, your only son who you love and go and sacrifice him on a mountain. And Abraham takes up Isaac and he's about to follow God. And then God says, stop. He says, now I know that you love me because you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And he provides a ram, a lamb caught in a thicket as a substitute sacrifice for his son, Isaac. And then we have the story of the Exodus, how the Egyptians had enslaved the Israelites and how God rescued them. And before he rescued them, he said, I want you to take a lamb and I want you to slaughter this lamb and put the blood on its doorposts. And so that when the angel of death passes through, he's going to pass over your houses. And as he slaughters the firstborn of all the Egyptians, Pharaoh will let you go. And again, 
What's the picture? The picture is of a lamb who was sacrificed and who died in the place of the people of God. And then you fast forward to Isaiah 53, this prophecy about the Messiah who will come, the suffering servant, and how he'll be led like a lamb to a slaughter. And by his sins, we will be healed. Our sins, I mean, sorry, by his death, our sins will be healed. Our sins will be forgiven. And then Jesus comes on the scene and John the Baptist says, this is the one that all those stories pointed to, that sacrificial lamb that was killed so that we might go free, that we might be forgiven, that we might have eternal life. They all pointed to this guy right here, Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We just read First Peter, a few, uh, that was the passage we were just in. And it says this in First Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So when you put your faith in Jesus, it's not just that you're regenerated, that God puts his Holy Spirit in you and gives you spiritual sight. It's not just that you're adopted as a child of God and now you can relate to God as a loved, beloved child of the Father, but it's also that you're justified, that your sins are forgiven, that he's de- you're, you're declared not guilty. No more guilt, no more shame. Because Jesus, through his death, has taken the punishment that you deserve. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Just read that last verse one more time as I take this sip of water. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. John testifies that this Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Again, do you know him in that way? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? There is no guilt, no shame, nothing you need to earn, nothing you need to work for anymore before God. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're adopted as his child. His Holy Spirit is in you. Do you know him in that way? The last thing I want to leave you with is this. Okay. Just as John the Baptist was called to be a witness testifying to Jesus, the same is true for you. You understand that? The same is true for you. This was not just a call for John the Baptist. In Acts chapter 1, 4 through 8, after Jesus rose from the dead, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with his disciples, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, there he is again, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. There's that word again. 
in all Jerusalem and in all Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he says, you who are following me, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, baptize you with my Holy Spirit. And then your job, your calling, your mission is to go and be witnesses testifying about me. So all of you sitting out here who know Jesus, that's your calling as well. It's not just about John the Baptist. The calling on your life is to be a witness testifying to Jesus. Now, part of being a witness means you testify to how he's changed your life, right? I mean, many of you, you know, you could probably tell stories of like, this was my life before Jesus, my life after Jesus. And that is an important part of testifying about Jesus. But it's not the whole picture, right? Because many people can testify about many things, right? I mean, there's people out there talking about how P90X has changed their lives, right? You know, people talking about how yoga has changed their lives. People are talking about weight loss surgery and how that's changed their lives. There's lots of things that people testify to say, this changed my life. This is who I was before and this is how it's improved my life. This is how it's changed my life. And so if all that testifying about Jesus is just talking about how he's changed your life, I mean, that's good, but a lot of people out there testifying about things that have improved their lives. It's not just about self-improvement. That's not what this is all about. Because only Jesus is the eternal son of God, God in human form, who died for our sins, who makes a way for us to be adopted as children of God, who gives us his Holy Spirit, God inside of us, Only Jesus makes a way where there is no way to be right with God. That's also what we testify to is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what ultimately saves, not our story, right? Again, go back to he must become greater. We must become less. John's words, he must become greater. I must become less. I got to fade into the background. I got to shine the spotlight on Jesus. It's not about me. It's about him. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Because this is going to be news to some of you. You are not the center of the universe. And the world does not revolve around you. You are not the center of the universe and the world does not revolve around you. Even here this morning, it's not about you. As much as I love you, this is not about how can I, you know, inspire you today and encourage you and make your life better. Like, it's not about you. My goal here is to glorify God. My goal is to please him and to honor him. That's what I'm here to do. And I believe that as you kind of get off the throne, stop thinking that you're the center of the universe and just make your life about honoring him and glorifying him, you're going to be encouraged. You're going to be inspired. You're going to get all those things that you were hoping for. It's not going to come by going after those. It's going to come by recognizing that you are not the center of the universe. It's not about you. You must become less. He must become greater. You are called to be a witness to the light of the world, to the word of God, to the eternal son. It's not about you. So what is it gonna look like practically in your life to be a witness to him? How is he calling you this morning? I'm gonna give you guys a few minutes to kind of reflect on this this morning because I don't want you to go out of here and forget what it was about. 
But how is he calling you? I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would speak to your heart in your situation. What does it look like for you to respond to this message, to be a witness to Jesus? Maybe it's going to mean something in your home and the way you live with spouse or kids or parents. Maybe there's a way that you need to change the way you're living, the way you're speaking in a way that shines a light on him and is a witness to him. Maybe it's a way that you're going to be with people at work in your neighborhood. Things that he's calling you to say or do that will just point people to Jesus. Maybe it's about you just kind of recognizing, you know what? I've been going out into the world trying to get people to focus on me, to acknowledge me, to to praise me. And I need to stop that. I need to stop because it's not about me. I'm not going to find fulfillment by having the world praise me. I got to use my platform to point people to Jesus. He's the light of the world. He's the savior, not me. I mean, for me, I've been wrestling with this. And one of the things for me is just recognizing that one of the ways that I could be a witness is just to be a little friendlier. You know, I think of just how I can go out and just stand by myself and there's people standing here and we're sitting here and I'll just be in my own world or on my own phone or whatever. And trying even this past weekend as I've been at my kids' sidelines to just like, strike up more conversations with people who are standing next to me, introduce myself, get to know them, you know, just, just find a way of making more connections with people. Sometimes it may lead to a spiritual conversation. Maybe it won't, but at least again, I'm opening doors to be a witness, to make opportunities to point people and not just stay in my own little world. What is it going to mean to you? Maybe for you, it is taking that next step beyond just high, how's the weather to ask someone a deeper question about, tell me more about yourself. Tell me more about, you know, do you have a spiritual background? You know, what do you believe? Asking a question that might give an opportunity for a deeper conversation with someone. What is it going to mean for you to respond to this message, this sermon this morning, to be a witness to Jesus, to recognize that it's not about you. You're not the center of the universe. You're not going to save anyone. You can't bring anyone's spiritual life. Jesus does that. So how can you point people to him? One of the ways you might be able to do that this summer is that I'm, I'm looking for people willing to share their stories of how they came to meet Jesus, how they came to know Jesus. I'd love to do some stories, whether it's people coming up front on a Sunday and sharing or recording a video that we can use. Um, I would love to have some stories by you guys, Okay. I think people are always encouraged when they hear each other's stories. Many of you look around the room and you just have no idea, you know? You have no idea the stories that are in this room. I know some of the stories in this room and they're amazing stories, but a lot of people don't know. And that could be an opportunity for you to testify, to to be a witness to Jesus. It's not about you. It's about what Jesus has done in your life. And so some of you, I encourage you, you know, let me know. If you want to make a video, if you want to come up front on a Sunday, let me know. I'm willing to testify. I'm willing to be a witness please let me know. God has called you to be a witness. Ask him for opportunities. Pray for the courage. Pray for the words to speak, the opportunities, the people that you can share Jesus with. Let's take a couple minutes and we're just going to take some time in silence to respond and I'm going to lead you in prayer. Um, You know, just to say, when you come to church on a Sunday, I encourage you, to have three things, a Bible, you know, whether it's on your phone or an actual Bible, have something to write with, like a pen, you know, there's pens in the back if you don't bring one, and have something to write on, 
which is why we also have the bulletin and it has like things to write on. Have that with you. You know, it, what, what that communicates is that you want to hear from God and you want to be able to like remember what you hear from God, right? I mean, some of you might want to type notes in your phone and that's okay, but I encourage you, always come with something to, to write with, to write on and with the Bible as well. So I want to encourage you, take a couple of minutes to respond just between you and God. He must become greater. You must become less. What does it look like? How is he calling you to be a witness? So take a minute, couple minutes in silence and then I'll lead us in responsive worship. For some of you, there may be specific people that come to mind. At this time, just lift up some names between you and God of people that you want to ask him to give you an opportunity to share your faith with, to have deeper conversations with. Just lift those names up and ask God to give you opportunity to share with them. Lord, we confess that we are not the center of the universe. We are not God. And we confess that so often we do act as if we are. And we ask for your forgiveness for that. And we pray that you would help us to enthrone you as the center of the universe, as the Lord, as the God. Only you can save. Only you can bring spiritual life. Help us to be a witness, to testify to Jesus and who he is and what he has done in his life, death, and resurrection. Open doors, Lord, for us to have opportunities to share with those in our life. Help us to be courageous, to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, to have spiritual sight, to see who it is among us that we need to reach out to and love. Lord, I pray that you would do incredible things through this, that this sermon, this Sunday would be a turning point in many of our lives, that it would be the moment that we committed ourselves, Lord, 
to walk courageously, to walk by faith and to be your witness. And if we have that mindset, Lord, I do believe that you will open the door and you will give opportunities and you will provide the words that we need to say and you will transform lives through our obedience and through the power of your Holy Spirit. So God, I pray that you would just bring revival to our church and bring salvation to many people who don't know you and who need to know you, God. Send us out from this place as witnesses to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the New Life Christian Fellowship Podcast. We are located at 1155 Silas Dean Highway in Weathersfield, Connecticut, and can be found online at newlife-ct.org. No redistribution or use of any kind of this recording is allowed without express written consent of New Life Christian Fellowship. 